Yes. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Liven up, Hayden. Put a smile on that face. We're halfway through the year, week nine. We hit some awesome bangers last weekend, some great picks. Uh, You know, it's only appreciated from the football gods that they come in and stir the pot here in week nine to freshen things up. So act like it. How you doing? I'm grinding through it. I, I can use a bye week. You know, I can use a bye week. Uh, yeah, I I haven't been eating like carbs like the last like 48 hours. Like, I'm trying to do something like that, and my body's just like dead. So we're we'll. I should have got some coffee or something, but yeah, I'll have, I'll get up to it. We'll, we'll get to football in a moment. Those of you the podcast feed and the YouTube channel, just stick with us here for a couple minutes. Have you ever gone on like a complete low carb diet, Aiden? No, no. Okay. I did in college. I'm sure you could search Josh Norris, Elon, find some awful fluffy photos. Big dog. Big dog holding a then St. Louis Rams helmet. Um, My senior year, I realized that I was extremely overweight and did a low-carb diet for like the final three months of college. Lost 35 pounds, Hayden. It worked. But I was a lot fluffier than you are right now. Well, we'll see about that. Um, Brussels sprouts, yeah. steak, all that kind of stuff. That that yeah. was the key. eggs, onions, you know, yeah. the good stuff. No, it is all good stuff. I, I was vegan for a while in college too, um, but like not like super strictly vegan. Um, what does that mean? When I was, what what, well, what, what like, does like a, a choice vegan? Like, <laughs> like I would say on Thursdays and Saturdays and that's it? Five, five days of the week I was vegan. That's pretty good. Like during college, the problem though, I wasn't losing any weight because – you know, frat life, that type of thing. It wasn't very good. Too much beer. Uh, But now I don't do that anymore. So I would think if I just cut out some of these carbs and I can start losing some weight, I got a wedding in six, six months. So I just realized like, Oh, it's November. Hmm. Time to, time to start taking this stuff serious. We'll say cutting out carbs. I truly thought I was losing brain cells at the same time. So I do think there's something associated to that, but Hey, analysis is going to get worse. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) Bring them back. Maybe chomp on some, some cookies, some, some oatmeal, whatever you need during the show so we can give the people some winners. And once again, we're going to go through the entire week nine slate. Remember, Lions, Seahawks, Bucks, and the Washington football team all on by this weekend and this weekend. Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern, we'll be here on this very YouTube channel with Animal taking your calls on lineups at 10 a.m. I jump in at 11 and I'm with Hayden until about 12.30 Eastern and obviously 7.30 Eastern Sunday evening after daylight savings time. We will be here. Instant reaction show for all the wonderfulness that was week nine. And it should be a barn burn. Let's start off, Hayden, with the three and four Minnesota Vikings going against the Baltimore Ravens coming off their by six point favorites. They're at five and two, a total of 49 and a half. As we can see in the fantasy blueprint, we'll start off with the Baltimore Ravens again, coming off that 41 to 17 loss to the Cincinnati Bengals It's in vogue now, Hayden to call this team pass first, but that's truly where they win at the moment. And this is the healthiest we've seen the Ravens passing game since the start of the season. Rashad Bateman is active. Sammy Watkins is back, which is good because this is where the Ravens are at their best when playing offense. Yeah, their identity is completely changed, and it's to fit their team needs. Devonta uh, Freeman might get another start here because Latavius Murray didn't practice on Wednesday. I haven't seen Thursday's injury report, but 
Uh, on the other side of the ball, it's Daniil Hunter for the Vikings. He's out, and the Vikings defense has been super inconsistent this year. They just they're not they don't have Pat Peterson either. So this is not the same Vikings defense. Obviously, they're always well coached, but you'd have to assume that with the Ravens now up to third in neutral pass rate, and before they were like thirtieth in neutral pace, now they're at least to twenty second. I think you're going to see plenty of passing numbers from Lamar Jackson. You know that his rushing production is going to always be there. So Lamar Jackson, I think for the rest of the season, isn't the QB one overall conversation. And then I think Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews are going to be the focal points of the offense. And like Rashad Bateman is going to be kind of like the guy to get them to like the 300 yards and not be like a must play wide receiver three. But I think that he'll be uh, probably more helpful in real life than for fantasy purposes purposes well one point that you made where both these teams historically are known for their defenses i don't think either defense is quite up to the caliber of the history or respect that typically we give them the ravens defense isn't normal either they're giving up big plays in the passing game and explosive runs as well they've given up huge gains after the catch Um, we saw that with cj uzoma we saw that with jamar chase we've seen it with a few other players as well Um, on the ravens quickly like you brought up Mark Andrews, and he's one of those players that's in the mix for top five tight ends, obviously, the rest of the way, if not top three tight ends the rest of the way. If we're looking and zooming in on individual matchups, his versus Eric Kendricks in the middle of the field could be a really, really difficult one. Our buddy Cleve TA pointed out that Jared Goff is one of the highest target rates in the middle of the field, and he only targeted this Vikings team at like a 30% rate um, the last time they played. So... Um, that that is something to keep in mind here. And I, I, even when talking about like this team being pass first, almost Lamar Jackson, 31 attempts, 27 attempts in each of the last two weeks. One was a blowout win. One was a blowout loss. We don't want this team going the trajectory of a team we're going to talk about later on in the Los Angeles Chargers. So hopefully they can come back out of their buy and get a win here. Hey. Well, I think that there's not going to be a blowout because I think the Vikings offense can also keep pace for sure against the Ravens defense, which is. All of a sudden, now 21st in passing EPA, 11th in rushing EPA on defense for uh, the, the the Ravens. And they're not sacking the quarterback that much either. They're 23rd in adjusted sack rate. So Kirk Cousins, he's been super inconsistent as usual. But I think that Justin Jefferson can win one-on-one matchups. I think that Adam Thielen still has just enough juice to get things going. I think that the underrated player in this game is... Tyler Conklin, he's more of a tight end two streamer, but he does enough things week to week and he has the usage to kind of uh, piece together to be that third passing element. So with Dalvin Cook back, Justin Jefferson feeling all healthy, Kirk Cousins, I think could keep pace against this usually aggressive defense. But the problem with that aggressive defense is they just don't have the cornerback pieces that they thought coming into the season because of injuries. Yeah, I went back this morning and watched some of that you know, spotlight game of Kirk Cousins because it's only fitting, Hayden. We have a video on the channel that calls Kirk Cousins a top 10 quarterback for long stretches of the season. He is playing like a top 10 quarterback. And then boom, when he's facing a backup quarterback in a primetime slot, obviously he looks like dog dude, right? And then what was the reason for it? It's because he was pressured on 41% of his dropbacks. And that's despite only being blitzed 20% of the time. Like the Cowboys were getting home with Randy Gregory and company with only rushing four. That. Absolutely cannot happen this week. And as I pointed out, that Field Yates reported and uh, the team released that starting center Garrett Bradbury, who is hot and cold as a pass protector and a run blocker, is right now on the COVID list. And I don't even know if he's going to be able to play on Sunday. So 
the Baltimore Ravens, they need to get home with Jason or Odafe Owe. They need to get home with Clayus Campbell and, and so on and so forth. And, and to me, that is a, a major part of it. And we need to get Dalvin Cook over 100 yards. You know, yeah. the, 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 the typical pieces, the usual suspects are always there for the Vikings. We just need them to be at their best in order to have a chance in this game. Yeah, I, I like the odds of this game being a decent shootout for sure. Forgot to mention this always in the chat. On these Thursday shows, it's the best. You're helping each other in your lineups, your setting lineups, answering questions, all that good stuff. Absolutely love it. And for all of you watching the stream after it's concluded, I will be answering questions in the comments down below. Just leave that all weekend long. Start sets, trades, all that good stuff. So keep that in mind. All right. Let's jump to maybe the team of this show, Hayden Winks, the four and four New England Patriots, three and a half point favorites against the Carolina Panthers, who are also 4-4. Four and four. Yes, two teams, same record. But to me, Hayden, it makes total sense why New England is favored here. It feels like they are playing their best football of the season. They're leaning into their best five offensive linemen, a power downhill runner, and a smart quarterback who's becoming more and more aggressive, coupled with really creative play calling from Josh McDaniels. And while the Panthers defense did a really good job against the Atlanta Falcons last week, I think that their, their, their defensive personnel matched up really well for that. And it's going to be a different type of offense they're facing this week. Yeah. Suddenly the Patriots can kind of win in two different ways, just because they figured out the offensive line, they can run the ball. That's what we thought they were going to do at the end of the season. But in the meantime, because the offensive line was bad, there was a, a couple week period there where Mac Jones was kind of just like, playing it by himself and just yep. sometimes an empty, a little bit of spread concept and reading things out. And like, we, we always talk about this, but what Mac Jones is doing, I think is being pretty underrated. Like I think when people compare him to like Tom Brady and stuff, they're out of control, but Mac Jones is playing really well, especially for, if you compare his stats, like EPA and completion percentage over expected compared to other uh, rookie quarterbacks the last couple of years, he's right at the top of that list. So um, I'm not sure if there's a, must play receiver or Mac Jones as a must play quarterback. But I think that just in general, the offense is getting to a, a better spot. And I think that's why even on the road against a, a Panthers defense, that's third against the pass sixth against the run first and adjusted sack rate. The Patriots are still projected for the 16th most points uh, this week. So I think it's just a credit to McDaniels and Mac Jones in particular for just at least on paper going to keep this game pretty competitive. Yeah, I know this game opened at two and a half. It's jumped to three and a half. That's a pretty sizable difference when you just talk about the absolute number of three when when considering these games. But I still like the Patriots side of this one. And as bland, as vanilla as it might seem on paper, Hayden, where, oh, wow, it's great. They, they, they run the ball with these five offensive linemen. They throw off play action. It's more exciting than that when you actually watch. Like, it is a team that you can see for the rest of the season improving – while we're talking about and getting concerned about these other teams as as they are as they're declining now for the patriots a two key figures here we have a stefan gilmore it seems like truly a revenge game a guy who went out there and said oh yeah this this game is different he only played about what 20 25 snaps i believe last week took it upon himself to say oh i'm going to be the one to shut down uh cow pits to to defensive coordinator phil snow and then a big addition last week to get back in the field was shaq thompson and yep. Shaq Thompson was flying around the field in the first three or four weeks when this team was one of the this defense was one of the best in the NFL. And so being able to stop those guys at the second level 
so and so forth. I'm with you. Like a double digit week in terms of points for Jacoby Myers would be a big win. And then Damien Harris, if he can, you know, elevate from finishing as the running back 20 after you draft him as like the running back 28 and maybe get to like the top 15 status, that is absolutely in play here as we go along for the rest of the season. I was pretty surprised by this, but the Patriots are number one in expected fantasy points to the running backs this year. So that's cumulative. It's not, not just Damian Harris because they have a Brandon Bolden or a Mondre Stevenson, but that's that's pretty good news for, for Damian Harris. So let's talk about the Panthers end of this because it certainly sounds like Christian McCaffrey is going to be back. He's getting in you know, extended work in practices right now, but it doesn't sound as good for the quarterback position because not only did Sam Darnold have concussion-like symptoms last week, he also is dealing with a shoulder injury. And Mike Giardi of NFL Network is told that the shoulder is as much of a concern as passing concussion protocol. So it's not just you know getting rid of the former and getting through that process. It's also a shoulder issue that is preventing him. But then, Hayden, when you look at the big picture of – what Bill Belichick and Steve, let's not forget about little son Steve out there. And that mullet. <laughs> and what they can do to opposing quarterbacks compared to where the Panthers are at their weakest and naming it the quarterback position in terms of when they are pressured, they freak. When, when they get confused, they freak. That's going to be the case for Sam Darnold. That's going to be the case for P.J. Walker. And when the Panthers play callers rely on their quarterback. They freak out. Like what we saw last week, Hayden, they've truly morphed into a run-first team. Yep. They are 30th in neutral pass rate over the last four weeks, and Vegas has them projected for the 24th most points this week, only 18.5. So it's basically, you if it's Chuba Hubbard or Christian McCaffrey, they're in the lineups. If it's a DJ Moore, he's in the lineup. But everybody else right now is, is not an option, including Sam Donald or P.J. Walker, especially in this match. If I just watched Bill Belichick, put on a coaching clinic against Justin Herbert. Um, so this is just, it's not good for the Panthers. They, they, they're going to try to claw this one together. Um, of right. note, I saw that a couple reporters believe that when Christian McCaffrey does come back and I I'm with you, I think he probably will, but it's definitely not a lock that'll happen. They're expecting, and this is what the coaching staff is saying, not to give Christian McCaffrey like that full elite workout because they've seen all these injuries they desperately need him though. So this is kind of like one of those things. All right. In theory. Yeah. You only want to give McCaffrey up to 20 touches, but when Robbie Anderson's not catching the ball and Terrace Marshall's banged up and all and your quarterback's not playing well, well, guess what? Those option routes from the slot to Christian McCaffrey, that's your best play in the playbook. So I think that they're going to have to force him out there. Just about to say the exact same thing, because while the Patriots defense can be incredibly tough in the trenches, in, in terms of Christian Barmore, who who absolutely is emerging. Um, they're probably at their worst when being stretched with slow linebackers. Yeah. Especially Dante Hightower and what he looks like this year. So if the Panthers are going to have success, option routes versus those linebackers, get him out in space, like over under if Christian McCaffrey plays here, three and a half you know, of those angle routes out of the backfield, 100%. Like that's where the game is going to, going to be played. Um, that's just not going to be enough. I mean, I, I, I would be shocked if it's enough because it, it's so because they were went into last week about as healthy as they had been in a really long time outside of Christian McCaffrey and, and Terrace Marshall. And still, they just like physically ill when considering putting the ball in Sam Darnold's hands. And the whole goal was to only 
have him throw when he's forced to throw or when like they have opened up shots. And that is just not a winning formula against a well-coached team like they're facing this weekend. Yeah. Um, they need, they need something to change. And I, I think that's going to come with the quarterback change next year. So Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals, four and four Browns, five and three Bengals, two and a half point favorite. Cincinnati is a total of 46 and a half. Um, where should we start here, Hayden? Would you rather start with the Bengals end since they're they're the favorite team? Because what they showed last week against the New York Jets didn't make a lot of sense. And I feel like both people who watch games, people who scrape the data, are still trying to figure out who the Bengals are despite them kind of being crowned because they're, what, 13th in total DVOA. They kind of play – and, you know, they've exceeded expectations defensively, but it was really vanilla – against Mike White, they only blitz him on eight of 47 drop dropbacks. Like that's an absurdly low rate. And granted, they don't blitz a lot in general. But when you see a quarterback out there that's making his first start in the NFL, go be aggressive. And they were giving so much cushion, which allowed Jamison Crowder and Michael Carter. And if you're going to give the Cleveland Browns cushion, it's going to be a field day for Baker Mayfield to Jarvis Landry to 13 personnel and tight ends and so on and so forth. Yeah, the Mike White game was basically – him saying Michael Carter and Jamison Crowder are better than your linebackers. And like, that's all it was. It was just immediate check down against zone coverage and let them go to work. And I'm with you. I, I think that the Bengals have some flaws still. Like they, they're probably better than what we expected coming into the year. Cause Joe Burrow and Jamar chase are awesome players, but the defense, I think is a little bit overrated. And I think last week kind of ex- exposed that keep in mind, they played the Steelers, the jets, the lions, the bears and the Jaguars this year. So some of those stats probably a little flawed because of the schedule. And that's why the Bengals are the Browns, I should say, are my underdog of the week. They're plus Ooh, like two it. and a, plus two and a half here. Um, if you look back into the preseason coming into the year, the, this game, it was supposed to be Browns minus four and a half. And I, yeah, I think the Browns are probably a little bit worse, but where they win in the trenches, I think could give the, the Bengals some problems when you have, Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, Tack McKinley against the Bengals offense. I don't know, man. I'm not that sold that the Bengals should be um, two and a half point favorites here. I, th- I think I like the trenches here and I want to be betting against like all this Odell Beckham narrative stuff. I think that's like where the people put too much weight into that. And these guys are going to go out there and grind out a win. Yeah, so while the Bengals offensive line, just like their defense, has probably played better than than we expected. And, you know, the play calling has really fed into that in terms of getting the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. And he is, he's been very good at understanding pressure looks and, you know, m- buying himself even moments to, to make things happen down the field. I think the best of the, Bing- of the Browns defense is yet to come. Yes. And it's not going to happen, you know, with JOK still out of the lineup. That's going to be a couple more weeks. But this Bengals offensive line isn't, you know, a top half unit or shouldn't be. So Miles Garrett, Jadeveon Clowney, Malik Jackson, Malik McDowell. Last season, this Browns defensive line swarmed them, if if I remember correctly. Yes. This is this is where that game is going to to be won, is 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 obviously protecting Joe Burrow up front, which again, that offensive line has done a pretty, pretty admirable job. This season, should we talk about the the Browns offense too? Because you mentioned it with Odell Beckham, he has been held out of practice the last two days. Uh, you posted a very funny clip of a double clutch of Baker Mayfield th- trying to throw down the middle of the field and hospital balling Odell Beckham. 
Um, to be honest with you, Hayden, maybe more of a behind closed doors loss than on the field because, you know, since that first game, he hasn't been a huge contributor. What they really need to get going is Nick Chubb and his explosive runs and those explosive plays because that's even dating back to last year where this team is at their best. 100%. I think that there's also this narrative, especially for like DFS purposes, that Nick Chubb's not going to have a bigger workload without Kareem Hunt this year. And I think that's total BS. I think last week was a get him healthy, keep him healthy game. I went back and watched that game. Nick Chubb looked like Nick Chubb to me. And I think that they're going to start unleashing him this week. He's going to probably run more routes. But even if even if the routes don't mean that much, uh, I think that they're going to just hammer him in the trenches here just because the Cincinnati Bengals linebackers. And just you look historically against the, the Bengals. I know this Bengals team's better, but Nick Chubb has de- demolished them. And I think that this is going to be the first week up until the Browns are on bye where you're getting Nick Chubb closer to that Dalvin Cook level and not this borderline RB1-2. So for those reasons, Nick Chubb, I want to correlate this. Also, my Benji of the week, I want 100 rushing yards for him. I want the, the Bengals or the Browns to pull off these upset. The last note I have here is Denzel Ward's been missing some time with a hamstring. He just returned to practice this week as well. So that would be huge news if they can get Denzel Ward, who I think was playing pretty well um, as like a shutdown corner to, to take away the explosive element of a Jamar chase too. So I think everything like the worst of things have just uh, been put behind the Browns. I think that the, the second half this year should be, end up getting a little bit better. You and I talk about Nick Chubb all the time that we want a complete full workload. And I'm with you that reading into the context of that situation is important because calf injuries, it's been like something ripping through the league right now and just coming back and immediately being at full strength and a full workload. It's there's kind of a doubt to that. I do want to bring up, again, Seth Galina, Too High podcast, fantastic stuff. Shows this with Baker Mayfield, how Kevin Stefanski, in terms of his design, is basically allowing two double moves to be run on the outside, well, one with the slot wide receiver. And then, obviously, the safety has to choose one way, which allows one wide receiver to be completely wide open. And so Baker could completely just lollipop this throw down the middle of the field, throw, I don't know, 50 yards, and his wide receiver could run underneath it. And instead he throws it to the opposite shoulder on a rope and mitigates and ruins an open play. You know me, Hayden. I jump on these instant reaction shows all the time after questioning Jared Goff for years and years and suggest that Baker Mayfield is also a problem. I think in this game, he'll have to be part of the solution, but it's going to help him that Jarvis Landry is back at practice and opening things up again with David and Joku. And I know that Tyler Conklin is still out at the right tackle spot with his elbow injury in terms of practice, but their backup tackle swing tackle has been playing pretty dang good. Well, so uh, I, I think that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. R- real quick, just to sum up the, the, the Odell Beckham news, it seems like it's both parties don't want to be involved. They would welcome Odell if he wants to be back, but he doesn't want to be there and they're kind of excusing him. So um, I think they probably should have tried to trade him if this was what it was going to come down to, but no team want to take on the contract. So it's there's a chance that he ends up getting cut here. And since he hasn't practiced these first two games, I would expect him not to be playing. So they might get Donovan Peoples-Jones back here as well. But I think this is just going to be Nick Chubb and Jarvis Landry. That is it for fantasy purposes. Both of the tight ends are cannibalizing each other. And I would expect Oda Beckham either to miss this game or get cut. Um, so we'll have to see. We'll monitor it, of course. 
three and four Atlanta Falcons are six point underdogs to the, the New Orleans Saints, who are at home, five and two. Total of 42 in this game. The assumed outcome here, Hayden, is that Taysom Hill starts. Um, he was a full participant, as we learned just before we went live here on Thursday. I don't know if this changes the reporting around the situation so far, but I've been looking at Nick Underhill. He's posted videos on this, other Saints beat writers. Again, the assumed outcome is Taysom starts. They've been a little more cagey about it, and, and the situation is maybe even 50-50. Teammates are saying how much they trust Trevor Simeon back there, and Hayden, not to you know simplify it, but it might just be what type of quarterback – Sean Payton wants in the backfield, one who, and obviously Taysom Hill is going to play in either direction, but one that might lean more towards the run or one that he feels is better in the passing attack. And if he truly feels that Trevor Simeon can carry out the Jameis Winston game plan of, you know, dink and dunk and then take some of these shots down the field, then that makes sense why the direction, because it's been working so far this season. I think that it just came down to were they sure that Taysom Hill was going to be active when they were starting their game plans early in the week? Because you can't do the same game plan for Taysom Hill and Trevor Trevor Simeon. So I'm not sure if they had insight that that Taysom Hill was going to be back and they were game planning for him. If they were game planning, I'm assuming Taysom's going to be active. And I think like for the rest of the season, I would be stunned if it was Trevor Simeon. I think it's going to be Taysom Hill for this week. I'm not sure. But I think that historically, Taysom Hill against the Falcons has worked. And I think... Yep that Sean Payton loves nothing more but to just smack the Falcons in the trenches because they've been doing it for a decade. And I can see that happening again here. So um, we'll find out on, on the Sunday show. I would guess that it would be uh, Taysom Hill, but uh, definitely not a lock. Yeah, when I first was writing these notes, it was six-point favorites. It's all the way up to six and a half now. That is huge for a backup. I mean, maybe that one speaks to Jameis Winston and what Vegas believes in him and how much of a drop-off, if there is any, to Taysom. That's a gigantic number when we talk about shifting quarterback to whoever it is, Simeon or Taysom Hill, in, in a single game. And I think that also points to where the Atlanta Falcons are right now. Like, their defense is abysmal. They get carved up by, you know, Tua Tungavailoa and a bunch of, you know, middle to bottom tier quarterbacks across the league. And then their offense last week got absolutely shut down. Like we've seen tremendous explosive plays from Cordero Patterson, both as a receiver and both as a runner, but it can't just be one player. It also then has to be, you know, Kyle Pitts on top of that. And we mentioned it when talking about the Panthers that Stefan Gilmore said, okay, I'm the guy that's going to shut down Kyle Pitts. To me, it's not going to be Marshawn Lattimore. Went back and looked, I think 90% of his snaps, Hayden, are at outside corner. I highly doubt they then ask him to pull him inside and play him in the slot. I bet it's going to be a different kind of mind battle. And Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is the player that Kyle Pitts is going to face off against in the slot. And that's going to be a very, very fun dynamic to trust. But either way, it's not going to be a good matchup for Kyle Pitts. Like Demario Davis, too. They have a bunch of... Like the Saints always have kind of this type of player to erase this person. And I'm with you that Marshawn Lattimore did not move into the slot against Mike Evans. Um, so, but at the same time, Kyle Pitts is also playing some outside wide receiver. And last week when I went back and rewatched this, it was evident they were using him as a legit wide receiver, but it's basically a 
hodgepodge offense. There was this play. I couldn't believe it. I was like, who is this huge dude wearing number 15 playing wide receiver? I looked Felipe Franks, the quarterback. He was playing wide receiver for some snaps. They had Hayden Hurst at fullback. Uh, the guy that was motioning in tight end on this play, that's Lee Smith, basically an offensive tackle. And then the play, the player playing running back, Cordell Patterson. So this yeah. offense is just completely out of control. For right now, it's just Cordell Patterson is clearly uh, a, a must play. He's averaging 14.6 half PPR points uh, or expected half PPR points without Calvin Ridley. Uh, none of the wide receivers, it was a full rotation. You can't trust them. You get a couple more snaps from Mike Davis, but obviously with the Saints uh, fourth in rushing EPA, fifth against fantasy running backs. You can't start Mike Davis. Right. So basically it's like Kyle Pitts, mid-range upside tight end one in a bad matchup. Cordell Patterson as the gimme touch guy. And then get the hell out of there. There's a reason why the Falcons are projected for 18 points this week. 18. <laughs> Who knew, Hayden, that in week nine we'd sit here and say, wow, Saints over the last few years, Atlanta Falcons, how much they've invested in offense – we can only play three players. We can only play three players in fantasy football from this team, unless you do want to take the risk and and start Taysom Hill, even though right now as we sit here, we don't even know if he's a starter. But three players in this game, to us, are fantasy relevant. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it is amazing. And then on the, the Falcons' defense, I do want to give a shout-out. A.J. Terrell has been playing out of his mind yep. for most of this year. Um, so that's just like they're a good player. Everyone else, it's, it's completely awful. Um, but, but AJ Terrell has been a guy, but yeah, I'm with you. It's literally just Alvin Kamara, promo code Alvin, and then Cordero Patterson and freaking Kyle Pitts. That's it. It's, this is out of control. Totally okay. out of control. Can, can we play just a game of, I'm going to look up some, some rankings here just with quarterbacks. Let's take into consideration that Taysom Hill is playing because yep. there were weeks of like top five quarterback numbers last year. And it's because, you know, he put out. 10 carries, 10 carries, 14 carries, and and three of his four starts. You did a good job in the usage show. Hopefully everyone watched that, outlining what those game environments were actually like. Um, Where would you rank Taysom Hill? Would it be around the Kirk Cousins, Tua Tungabailoa, 10-11 tier? Could it be just behind Kyler Murray at quarterback eight, quarterback seven? Yeah, it's right. It's right right. I would probably start Taysom over... Tua Tonga Bailoa and uh, maybe Kirk Cousins too. Well, I think I would trust Nick Underhill, whatever he's writing about the situation, but that's the range. The one thing that taste the working against Taysom Hill is there's no Emmanuel Sanders in Michael Thomas this year. And last right. year in those splits, he had them, but the rushing production is rushing production. So uh, we'll follow the news, but I think that he's going to be for the rest of the year on that, like QB one, two border and against the Falcons. And that's a plus matchup probably closer to like QB 9, 10 than like QB 13, 14. And everyone knows that favorite player in the league, one of them is Grady Jarrett. But Grady cannot handle, you know, four of the five best offensive linemen like yeah. in the NFC South and the NFC. And that's what the Saints have along their offensive line. I mean, what we could see, especially if Taysom plays Hayden, 38 rushing attempts on the season. Oh, yeah. I think that's absolutely achievable for the Saints as well. Oh, yeah. Denver Broncos, Dallas Cowboys. We know the Cowboys are six and one, and they have a big, big favorites here. Nine and a half points, Hayden. Total of 49 and a half. And I mentioned that nine and a half point spread because Dallas this season, did you know this? Undefeated against the spread. Undefeated. So let me bring this question up to you. We love, we love the Cowboys. We love what Dak Prescott is doing, even though he's not putting up, you know, 
top three, top five quarterback numbers because they're so balanced. Can they cover that nine and a half against a Broncos defense? Talk about disappointing. For their personnel and just trading away Von Miller, that's been a disappointing unit, one of the most in the NFL this season. So they're missing Bradley Chubb. They've been missing Alexander Johnson, who's a pretty underrated linebacker, I'd say. Uh, then they ship out Von Miller, but quietly also their slot corner, Bryce Callahan, he's out too. So that's like, I mean, too many guys to stop this, this Cowboys offense. The Cowboys offense, tons of injury news to go through. Everybody's under the assumption, including Zach Prescott, that he's going to play. Uh, it seems like Michael Gallup, this was kind of the week that they were expecting Michael Gallup to return. But then yesterday we had CD Lamb twist his ankle and he was a, a DNP on Thursday. So suddenly you have, uh, an unknown CD lamb and Blake Jarwin he has a hip injury. He's probably not going to play. So we just went over in the last show talking about how they're probably going to use more 12 personnel. Michael Gallup's not going to play that much. Forget all of that for this week, at least because it seems like Blake Jarwin's not going to play. CD lamb might not play himself too. And then they might just go uh, Michael Gallup either in 11 personnel or 12 personnel. So uh, we'll, we'll learn more on, on Sunday, but I think this is a start everybody week and that the Broncos defense is going to be highly overrated until everyone adjusts for all their good players being out. Yeah, interesting. It's a um, it's a team that is among the highest in the NFL, which we would have not expected heading into it, in, in 12 personnel at 32%. So with Blake Jarwin out, one of those two pieces is Durham Smythe is the other one, correct? No, he's in Miami. They have a uh, – What's the other one's name? How can we not yeah. – This is the carbs not coming in. Because, hey, he's the one who's being productive. Dalton Schultz. God. Oh, no. I mean, Dalton, I, I, Dalton I, I, Schultz. I thought you knew. I thought you were talking about the the new number two tight end. Yeah, I have that one too somewhere. I'll get that in a moment. But what we love, what we love about this team is that how they can beat you in every which way. Whereas last year they were forced to only beat you in in eleven personnel and have Michael Gallup out there on the field over and over and over again. I definitely don't want to be in the camp that says, oh, this team is going to be worse with Michael Gallup in the fold um, because he's an uber-talented player. Um, and it might even get to a point, like you mentioned with CeeDee Lamb, if it's Cedric Wilson in the slot and Michael Gallup playing outside because that's kind of how they were doing things early on, especially with CeeDee Lamb playing some slot snaps already. Um, what I do trust is obviously Dak Prescott to put up numbers, Ezekiel Elliott to put up numbers, and even with Tyron Smith, who I showed is almost certainly going to be out in this game, the, the Cowboys are one of the few teams with legit offensive line depth, too. So someone will step in and do well here. So I said a lot without really saying anything other than I still believe in the Dallas Cowboys offense, even if they miss CeeDee Lamb and even if they miss Blake Jarwin. I, I know I know you long enough. I can translate that for you. Start everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's basically what you said. I'm, I'm trying to search. Someone tweeted at me this morning. The, the third tight end that they like. So maybe they will continue to run 12 personnel. We'll see how much they like him if they continue that rate of about 30% in 12 personnel. On the Denver side, we saw Jerry Judy return last week. Hayden, the volume, the opportunity wasn't absolutely massive. They used him in the slot a lot, and he was able to create separation and sustain it. And I didn't see him necessarily slow down. Again, the further we get away from that major high ankle sprain, I believe it was, the better. Um Again, it's been kind of a tale of two halves for Teddy and and his season. How do you expect this Broncos offense to fare, especially with Noah Fant on the COVID list as well? I expect them to score more points than the 19 and three quarters points that the implied team total is suggesting because the defense is worse. And I think 
that Teddy Bridgewater is going to have to pick up the, the offensive pace. They're currently dead last in pace. I don't think that's sustainable now that their defense is legit bad and they get Jerry Judy back and he, sh- he looked fine to me out there. Um, I'm very curious to see if Jerry Judy is going to be a 12 personnel receiver or not, because I mean, he's basically a slot receiver. So that's going to be one thing to, to keep an eye on until that switches. And I can confirm that Jerry Judy is a 12 personnel receiver as well. I'm going to be ranking Cortland Sutton ahead of Jerry Judy, but this is probably going to be short term. I think long-term Jerry Judy is going to win out, but I do think the Noah Fant thing is, is a kind of a big deal because he's been their inline guy quietly. Yep. And Albert O is more like an athlete in space guy. Um, I think that he's ultimately going to be a decent tight end two streamer, certainly no one for one replacement, um, but that could influence just the Broncos to use more 11 personnel anyways. Long answer, there's basically a bunch of players projecting for like 10 fantasy points on the Broncos, and that's going to be super frustrating. But I think that Teddy Bridgewater, I think, could have an effective day um, against against the Broncos or against the Cowboys here, especially because we think the Cowboys are just going to run through Denver on offense. Yeah, and again, Cleve TA, go and subscribe to his page, his service if you want to. He does really great stuff on just a few games each week. He spotlights instead of just covering every single one. So he really pinpoints areas and and, and sharp angles in terms of identifying trends that, that won't sustain. Again, Dallas being undefeated against the spread. I think the longest a team has gone is 9 or 10, and that was the Patriots in their incredible season. So this is going to end at some point. So if we can just paint the narrative of how it might end this week. Again, nine and a half points is a lot. A big part of the Cowboys defense is, is turnovers. Obviously it's sack fumbles with Randy Gregory and a few other players. They don't have Dexter Lawrence back yet. It's interceptions by Trevon Diggs and him returning them for, for big scores too. Um, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't really turn the football over. You know, he, he doesn't throw interceptions. It's a lot of checkdowns, a lot of accurate passes. And Cleve pointed out that the Broncos only have fumbled four times this season. They've lost all four as well. So lack of turnovers, zero turnovers would go a long way to covering that nine and a half this week. By the way, Hayden, we kind of low-key love that the trade deadline passed and we don't have to keep hearing about Melvin Gordon being traded away so Javante Williams can be freed. Y'all need to start putting some respect to Melvin Gordon's name because he's he's the – 1A to the 1B in this rushing attack. Both are really good, but I think both players have their strengths and their weaknesses in this offense, for sure. That's right. Uh, Before we move on, shout out to Craig Boyd. The tight end that we couldn't remember was Sean McKeon. Craig Mm. Boyd mentioned it to me that he'll be active for the first time this week, so that could be the second tight end here for the Cowboys to keep on the field. In which school did Sean McKeon go to? Hayden, don't... I mean, are you looking at, you don't know this. Do you know this? Michigan, I think. I think it's Michigan. Really? I think so. You can't be too up. I'll look it up. Go to the next game. Post for me, please. Yes, sir. Las Vegas Raiders, two and a half point favorites on the road against the New York Giants. We know the Raiders are five and two. uh, Believe also coming off of their bye. Let's talk about the Giants first, though, Hayden, because... This is a, and actually in the best ball report card show, we saw a lot of the top teams having Daniel Jones as their third quarterback or even second quarterback in like the final four rounds. So that might be a common thread that we paint throughout the rest of the season. As of now, when the, you know, softball was in Saquon Barkley's ankle, they said immediately, oh, just one to two weeks. Well, it certainly looks like, according to Jordan Ronan, he's going to miss his third straight game. It's not trending well for him. 
Kadarius Tony didn't put up a lot this last time out. What's our trust level with Daniel Jones and company? Because boy, do I want to keep betting on the ceiling that Kadarius Tony keeps putting out there. I think this could be a Kadarius Tony game because Sterling Shepard injured his quad. He hasn't practiced this week. Kenny Galladay got in a limited practice on Thursday, but he was DNP uh, Wednesday. So he's at least questionable. Saquon's at least questionable. So I think it might just be Kadarius Tony, who's dealing with an ankle injury and a thumb injury, but he gutted through it last week. There was a quote where he forgot that he went to the locker room or something. This was like, did you see that one? That was absolutely nutso. I, I, I prefer to think of Kadarius Tony on the field versus off of it. Yeah. Well, he's an absolute baller on the field, and I think that he's going to be an upside wide receiver three here pending all the injury news. But for right now, I would guess it's going to be Devontae Booker, Kadarius Tony. And maybe Kenny Galladay, but even like players like Dante Pettis and John Ross, like these guys are also banged up too. So it, yeah, this could be a game where like we start, we sit there like he might get ten to twelve targets because Kadarius Tony was a seventeenth or eighteenth round selection, um, and because he really didn't you know get an opportunity even here until week three. I think people are still questioning. Oh, can I trust this guy? And I understand it with the injuries, but when you like really look into his actual performances. When he lined up as a starter for the first time in week four, nine targets, six receptions, 78 yards, electric factory, then follows it up against the Dallas Cowboys, a good defense, 13 targets, 10 receptions, 189 yards, putting Trevon Diggs in a blender. Then the next week against the Los Angeles Rams, again, a top defense in one drive, in one series, three targets, three receptions, 36 yards. So he follows it up again this past week against the Kansas City Chiefs. an opportunity, an environment we thought he could smash in because of how bad the Chiefs defense. He's in and out, forgets he goes to the locker room, gets his hand stepped on or whatever it is. Five targets, four receptions, and 26 yards. Again, the vast majority of those, those three games, well, two plus a series, heavily targeted, looks fantastic. To me, I would much rather focus on those you know, qualities versus, oh, you know, is this guy for real or not? Because to me, Hayden, he is absolutely for real. I mean, he was injured. Like, he'd just been injured, you know? Every single time he's been healthy, he's out there balling. So, I think I'm just he's... putting myself in, like, the people's minds out there that, oh, like, yeah. question starting him each week as well. Yeah. But, like, you got to forget of where he's come from, where you picked him up, and those types of things. Because when he's been out there, and that's what we can, like, really try to analyze and project, he's been fantastic. Yeah. He's he's, fantastic. he's a fantasy starter. Um, Devontae Booker, real quick. Uh, over the last four weeks, he's had RB12 fantasy usage, been averaging – the uh, RB 21. I think that's pretty much fair behind this offensive line. And he's Devonte Booker, probably a below average running back, but the Raiders defense has been so, so better, but still not elite in any capacity. Um, so I think that Devonte Booker is going to be a starter for at least one more game here, but I'm, I'm with you. This Saquon Barkley stuff. It's, it's, we haven't heard any news from it. You know, like that's been like the one weird thing. Like you would, Usually there's like some optimism, but like for whatever reason, right. there's just been no well, nothing there's, on it. There's a lot of COVID weirdness going around, like the the place that they send their testing stuff. They're now moving away from because they've had a lot of false positives and like 13 of the 14 instant positives are now negatives and who knows. So that's something to track as as we move forward. Let's talk about the Raiders offense, too, because this is a game total of 46 and a half uh, on the Tuesday show as soon. And that was the day that the Henry Ruggs stuff came out. Um, again, do not drink and drive, go use an Uber, a Lyft, all those things. 
Hayden, he has since obviously been released. From a football perspective, this drastically, to me, changes the Raiders' offense because we know, and we've highlighted it so much with Derek Carr and how he's changed his game this season. He's still, still out of the bye week. Leads the NFL in 20-plus yard attempts with 43. Just 20 completions on that, but still, that's important. Henry Ruggs had 12 of those targets and seven catches, easily the most on the team. Compare that to like Darren Waller, who had nine 20-plus yard targets, three receptions. Brian Edwards, 11 20-plus yard targets and three receptions. It sounds like they're going to try to act like Zay Jones is a one-for-one replacement on the field. But again, this offense has taken such a massive step in the passing game because of this willingness of Derek Carr. And then you lose your best player in that area. It gives me some apprehension, obviously, of the success it can have. They asked Darren Waller about Henry Ruggs, not this week, this is like in the offseason, about just like what does Henry Ruggs bring to the table? And all of them, including Waller, were like, he helps us so much. And we went back to watch Henry Ruggs this offseason. It was very evident that safeties view Henry Ruggs as the threat. And like they were letting Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and these guys eat underneath. So I do think this will affect the efficiency of a Derek Carr. I think they're going to be asking Brian Edwards to step up here. I'm not sure Brian Edwards is a vertical threat. Uh, I mean, clearly not to the extent of Henry Ruggs, but Henry Ruggs or Brian Edwards is going to go into uh, 12 personnel. Now they're probably going to get throw the ball to um, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro even more so. But I think that overall the Henry Ruggs um, departure certainly is going to take some of the efficiency and downfield ability away from the Raiders. I don't think it's going to matter that much this week against the Giants. Um, but I think long-term there's going to be some on-off splits with, with and without Henry Ruggs. Yeah. I mean, Brian Edwards, I think only has 27 targets on the entire season. If I'm seeing that, well, no, excuse me, 31. Cause he had four in overtime, but four targets in the first quarter, six targets in the second quarter. Then the second half, he has 17 targets. So that's, you know, part of the game. That's obviously going to have to be you know, much more featured, from start to finish. I mean, the more I think about this, Hayden, the more I like the Giants side of this, because I think they actually have some some defensive pieces too. James Bradbury is playing at a really high level, did a really, really good job um, against the Chiefs when when they matched up against them. So it's uh it, it, it it's certainly one to watch and one that we're gonna like learn a lot of information on if the Raiders can, you know, continue to produce the same kind of optimism to get to this five and two record without one of these, you know, difference makers, difference makers on the field. So uh, less fun game, Buffalo Bills, Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously the Bills are five and two here. They are 14 and a half point favorites. Uh, I'll bring up the injury news on the Bills real quick because it's kind of significant. Hayden, actually the two players who almost canceled each other out at times and Dawson Knox and Cole Beasley did not practice here. On Thursday. So what that signals to me against Jacksonville's woeful, woeful defense. Hello, Stefan Diggs. Hello, Emmanuel Sanders. And then in garbage time, let's keep rolling in high value touches with Zach Moss. And let's roll from there. Hey. I, I feel like I haven't seen anything where Cole Beasley would like for sure miss though. Have you have you seen anything beyond that? I feel like just like he's a veteran. I think that this year we've seen more veterans just take days off, especially like the okay. Chargers. Um, yeah, no, certainly that would be a massive deal for Emmanuel Sanders and Stephon Diggs. 
I don't think that Gabe Davis is ever going to be a like target accumulator. Yes, he can make plays down the sideline in the red zone, but I think that Cole Beasley opens up plenty of target share. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll be monitoring this for sure. What about Jacksonville's end? Because typically the maybe the one player that we get most excited about and should get excited about to start on that end is James Robinson. And he was the only player on that offense that did not practice on Thursday. He's dealing with a heel injury. I think he played eight snaps in their game last week and then was held out for the rest of the contest. Um, it just speaks to how bad that coaching staff is that coming out of a bye, you get absolutely <laughs> demolished and put up no effort. Uh, I love Marvin Jones. He's a pick and line of 57 and a half receiving yards and underdog right now. To me, the Bills defense is the one I want to avoid most when thinking of fantasy football matchups. And so I want the under on that. And I don't know if I want to play anyone other than maybe Darren Arnold when we get to hear the streaming sessions on uh, on, on tight ends right now due to bye weeks. Yeah, Car- Carlos Hyde, uh, season high, 12.2 expected half PPR points. The, they had Dario Ugnabuwale active last week, but they didn't use him in the past game. That was still Carlos Hyde. So in theory, Carlos Hyde... Uh, has some like flex appeal, but the matchup is beyond brutal. Like you said, the bills right now, number one passing EPA and rushing EPA uh, defense. That is truly absurd. Um, yeah. The Jaguars stink. They're projected for 17 points. I'm going to go to a rant. going to vent a little bit. And you know what this is about Hayden. You know, we get another week of Jamal Agnew getting a pretty high target share and being featured in this offense. And I see a lot of people just saying, God, Urban Meyer sucks. What is he doing to LaVisca Chenault? Maybe you're blaming the wrong person here. You know, what happened to targets are earned until it's the time where LaVisca Chenault is supposed to get targets. You know what I'm saying? So go ahead. The the only thing I would say is you can, I can say that Urban Meyer is not handling this well because they're putting a slot receiver at X receiver. You know, like that's like the, that's the issue. Uh, but like I think that that's irrelevant to right now because they're playing him at X receiver. Correct. So, so the information that we have, we we should not yeah. be getting upset because we know that Dan Arnold and most likely Jamal Agnew moving forward are going to have a higher target share than Visca. I agree. Yes. That's sad. It is, but the, that's just the offense and how it is scripted and how it's orchestrated right now. So uh, again, now we have two weeks of information in our pocket that this team believes Jamal Agnew is a featured player in this offense. Now, the varying degree of his skills and his A dot and all those things, that can be debated and, and be concerning here in terms of his his huge ceiling. But he's going to be on the field because he separates and he's fast, and that's what they crave right now. And the same thing as we talked about in the usage show with Darren Arnold. And among tight ends, he is athletic and he's movable. And so he's going to get targets too. Yep, I'm streaming Dan Arnold. The last note I had on this game is back to the Bills offense. Zach Moss has been playing in the two-minute drills like for like the last four weeks, not Devin Singletary. And then last week, we had Zach Moss run around on 28% of routes, Devin Singletary only 12. So that's like kind of the difference between Zach Moss being like a, a scary RB2 versus like a legit RB2 with upside. And obviously, with the Bills projected for 31.5 points, 14.5 point uh um, favorites o- over the Jaguars. You were already yeah. starting as an RB two, but I think that like the passing game difference would be a win, especially if Cole Beasley misses time. Yeah, I, I was going to ask where the Bills rank in terms of implied points, expected points this week, and their number number one. one. That makes so much sense. It yeah. makes so much sense. Okay, well, let's close up the one o'clock window with the Houston Texans 
and the Miami Dolphins. Both teams one and seven. Vegas much prefers Miami here. Six and a half point favorites, a total of 46. Even though Tyrod Taylor is back in our lives, Hayden. It was a fun few weeks to start the year. I don't think anybody who is not in Houston or wanted to watch a player that matched up against them watched a single second of Davis Mills since that time. Uh, I don't even know if it's easy to gauge what Tyrod Taylor brings to this Houston Texans offense, but Hayden, we know that they've changed some pieces since then, and Mark Ingram, who had a great week in, in week one, but the one player who benefits the most, it sounds like, is a disgruntled Brandon Cooks. And I guess that projects him all the way back up into wide receiver two status. Yeah, I think for the rest of the year, he's going to be a wide receiver two with plenty of upside. Uh, with Davis Mills, he was averaging 10.4 expected half PPR points in the two games with Tyrod Taylor. That was at 15.7 and 18.3. And that was one of the games where he left at halftime. So that's like legit wide receiver one, wide receiver two numbers from Brandon Cooks. They just don't have anybody to throw the ball to. Like Nico Collins, awesome. Dan- Danny Amendola, cool. Uh, they got Brevin Jordan going. Remember all the, the Brevin Jordan hype before the combine? Uh, they got him going last week. But yeah, this is, I think, a, a very big difference. And obviously, it's a super small sample, but Tyrod Taylor was number one in passing EPA per play right now among quarterbacks with 50 uh, attempts. That's that's crazy. Obviously, not sustainable. Um, but I think the Dolphins' defense isn't that great. And I think that Ty- Tyrod Taylor is, I think, a really big difference uh, over Davis Mills. I think that Brandon Cooks is somebody, if you can snag him in a trade before your fantasy trade deadline, like sign me up all the way for that. I've actually been really interested in Miami's offense in comparison to the defenses they're playing. And I kind of put this in the context of a pick em line over an underdog in terms of Jalen Waddle. Like when we look at Tua Tungavailoa and his passing against good defenses or even maybe the best defense in the NFL – that would be the Buffalo Bills this past week, just 205 passing yards versus obviously New England to start the season at 202 passing yards. He has trouble. And then when you face bad defenses like the Jaguars, like the Falcons, hey, low key, he's shredded. Six touchdowns, three interceptions, you know, almost over 600 yards passing in between those. That was some quick math I did in my head. And a ton of attempts. Granted, both were losses, but 87 combined attempts in those games, too. Tell me if I'm simplifying this too much, but we always talk about it and, you know, at times hate watching this offense, but it's a lot of speed outs. It's a lot of RPOs, you know, it's simplified things. And just basically those will work better against bad defenses with lesser personnel and will not work as well against the Buffalo Bills and Bill Belichick when he faces the New England Patriots too. And so this week he gets Lovey Smith. He gets the Houston Texans and Jalen Waddle could potentially have a game because even in those tough matchups, like look at the Bills, he still had 12 targets, but the efficiency drops considerably. And I know Devontae Parker was back in that game too. So maybe you want to throw that wrench in there. But I expect Jalen Waddle and Tua to have a really, really good game against the Houston Texans this weekend. Yeah, but I'll throw in Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki are getting involved too. I'm with you. Tua could carve up because he's super accurate. And when he sees things, he, he can get the job done. It's like against those more less clear defenses where he, he kind of struggles. Um, but I'm with you. Lovey Smith loves to just run out cover two and just sit Same there thing. and he to it can see it. So I think that this is a week to get your dolphins guys in there. Uh, Will Fuller still completely TBD on his finger. Uh, Malcolm Brown still on injured reserve. So 
Miles Gaskin is like on the flex radar. Um, but I'm with you. I think that Tua can get the job done in this matchup here. I mean, seven most points at home here, 26 implied total. Jalen Waddle, Tua, I mean, to me, it just makes so much sense. It's not like Lovey's trotting out Derek Brooks and Rondé Barber out there, you know, running the yeah. same thing over and over and over again. Again, that that pick'em line is 57 and a half over an underdog. And by the way, we are running the best promo actually we have ever done. What you deposit, you get back if you use promo code the show. So it's deposit match up to one hundred dollars. If you want to put in, you know, fourteen dollars, put in that you get an extra fourteen in your account. Fifty nine. 99 straight out of Hayden's pocket. Use promo code the show. And if you do pick them, get five correct. And you 20x that. Yes. You can turn 10 bucks into 200 by just picking five correct. So go on over, download the app, go on desktop, whatever you want to do, and use promo code the show to get a free deposit match. And while you're here, like and subscribe to the channel. Again, we'll be here on Sunday, two shows, 10 a.m. and 7:30 Eastern. Then okay. So all the one o'clock games here are done, Hayden. Now we get into an awesome, one of the best four o'clock windows I can remember. And let's start off with the seven and one Green Bay Packers going against the Kansas City Chiefs, who are four and four. And in this game, they are seven and a half point favorites. Total of 48. Why here, the Chiefs? Well, the spread started at one, I believe, in favor of the Packers. And it's about an eight, eight and a half point swing in favor of the Chiefs because Aaron Rodgers, COVID list, unvaccinated because of an alternative treatment. Before we do anything, Hayden, do you have any comments that you want to give on that entire situation since that's part of the show now? No, I'd like <laughs> to talk football. <laughs> Quickly, I think our buddy Justice Mosqueda, who I've known for a really long time, put the whole thing into perspective a little bit of like why, you know, some of these other players in Lamar Jackson and Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz have been so vocal about being unvaxxed and Aaron Rodgers was not. And in some ways how the Packers kind of, let's say shaped it in a way that made him seem like he was vaccinated after that press conference. But I'll let you go and read Justice's stuff if you want to. Okay, let's jump to this game. And we get Jordan Love, Hayden, former first round pick. I went back and watched all of Jordan Love's throws during the preseason because I like torture. But on paper, at least, I know this game is away in Kansas City, which is a hostile environment, but against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And if you want to throw out like the narrative, they have to throw and match every throw of Patrick Mahomes, that's fine. But on paper, this could be an ideal matchup for a rookie to go into. Yes? Well, if he's not a rookie, though. Well, well he, he basically I, is. Yeah, I mean, he basically what is I'm a saying, rookie. He, yeah. he, you know, he played a little bit in week one when they were a blowout loss. But yes, he's right. basically a rookie. Yeah, no, it, it is a perfect matchup. And the good news is he gets Devontae Adams back and Aaron Jones is healthy. So like those two, you don't have to run like a complex passing offense because a lot of this stuff is just boom, tunnel screen to Devontae, bubble screen to, to Devontae, another screen to Aaron, Aaron Jones, an angle route from Aaron Jones, you know, where like you're not asking a whole bunch for Jordan Love. And the other good part is the Chiefs are 30th in adjusted sack rate, 29th in passing EPA. So th there's a chance for Jordan Love to move the ball. With all that said, the Packers are still projected for the 21st most points in the week. And we know that they're going to run the ball a ton with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones because they're doing that pretty well. They're 10th in rushing EPA themselves. 
And I think that A.J. Dillon looks like a pretty good runner. And the Chiefs can't stop the run at all. They're 29th in rushing EPA yep. on defense, and their linebackers are garbage. And so same thing with their interior. So uh, I think that Jordan Love is probably like a low-end quarterback too here. You hope that he can get to do something with his legs. You hope Marquez Valdez-Scantling is back. They didn't decide to play him last week, but I'm assuming he's back. Um, but ultimately, I think they're going to try to slow this game down. They're already 28th in neutral pace and just run the ball and do a little quick screens to Devontae Adams, and hopefully Adams breaks a bunch of tackles and they keep this close. What a two weeks for Matt LaFleur. You know, last Thursday against the Arizona Cardinals, he loses his number one wide receiver among the best receivers in the league and Devontae Adams and has to game plan for that. Now you lose your quarterback, you get Devontae Adams back, and you have to game plan for that. Um, But he's clearly, to me, an awesome play caller in terms of his designs to get Things open for tight ends over the middle of the field. Obviously, Robert Tunyon's down. Um, or the things to the running backs and using them in tandem, too. It's it's really, really cool play designs. And so, again, you get Defonte Adams back here. You have the offensive line that's healthier. And against a defense, as you alluded to, that has some major, major weaknesses. I guess I look at the spread in seven and a half points. That suggests it's an easy win for the Kansas City Chiefs. What has been easy for the Chiefs this season? Nothing. Yo, I, Nothing. I, I, I will say that the Packers offensive line has been playing well, but I wonder how much of that is Aaron, Aaron Rodgers figuring that out. And Jordan love were like coming into this was just like super inexperienced just because he was playing in a non power five conference. And he was super uh, basically a, a, a one year wonder. And he wasn't even the number two quarterback last year. I'm, I'm wor- worried a little bit about the Packers offensive line. That's been held up by Aaron Rodgers all of a sudden kind of falling flat. Uh, because they have an inexperienced quarterback. So uh, I'm with you. I, I would take the probably the Chiefs side and figure and then, then I'm just doing the opposite. this out. Yeah, I, I think the Packers are super banged up on both sides of the ball right now. And I think that um, eventually that's got to come back to bite you as well coached as the Packers are. Yeah, just watching Jordan Love, I saw some like real mobility. Obviously, that's there. They got him on a lot of like designed rollouts, and I expect that to continue as well. That, that athleticism allows him to get out of trouble. If you want to go back and watch um, the game against Buffalo, I thought in the preseason was his best one. The game against Houston wasn't wasn't nearly as good. Um, but he even got into like, trouble, and we remember this, back in his time at Utah State. Just like some of those absurd throws that he would make down the field and just awful, Terrible. awful decisions. Um, minimize those. You know, He has to probably hit on one, two, or three, or four of those. For in order for them to actually like outright win or even cover the spread, but just working in the flow of an offense is something that I I think he's going to be able to do and rely on the talent that the Packers have, especially because if they get David Bakhtiari back and all the wide receivers that we just mentioned, it's a loaded offense. It's a loaded offense. Yeah, we just I disagree on, on the I, well, potential I, success in Week One. Coming coming into the NFL, I thought Jordan Love was not good, so. I'd like him to prove me wrong before I like start like hedging against Patrick Mahomes. I think that we can easily look back and be like Jordan Love versus Patrick Mahomes. The point spread was at seven points at, and the chiefs were at home. Like that's, yeah. that's what I kind of going off of. Got it. All right. What about on the chiefs end? Because another offensive side with a lot of questions. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk about how defenses are, are playing them, which is absolutely fair. You know, minimize the big plays, so on and so forth. You've heard that spiel before. Can I throw out a different story of like, well, maybe the individuals just aren't playing well. You know, I think it's really fair to say that 
Travis Kelsey does not look the same. Like Travis Kelsey is not creating separation off the line of scrimmage. He's not finding, you know, soft spots in zone nearly as well or winning in man coverage. I mean, half of Patrick Mahomes' turnovers are bad interceptions. The other half are bad bounces like you like to talk about. But, you know, those five interceptions, if we just take half of them, equal basically what he's done the last two years combined, like in terms of the whole season. And he's done that in half a year right now. And Tyreek Hill's been in and out and banged up as well. So, like, even if just one of those pieces, like Travis Kelsey, if he's not playing up to 100%, then they basically are just like a one-person show with Tyreek Hill because no one else, and this is why they search for a Juju or someone else this offseason to change that offense. And without, you know, both those players playing at a high level, they're neutered. They're neutered. They got to be able to run the ball. Like, I hate to say that, but they're 20th in rushing EPA per play. Like, that's just that's just not good enough. And I think that's, like, the way to kind of unlock the whole operation. But I'm with you. Travis Kelsey has not been the same player. And Next Gen Stat keeps saying that uh, they're playing corners on Travis Kelsey. They're not viewing this as, like, 12 personnel or, or anything like that. They're, like, calling him a wide receiver, and they're putting wide receivers or corners on him. And that's been an issue. So... Um, I'm with you. There are some systemic issues. I ultimately just keep thinking that Patrick Mahomes is going to figure this out to an extent. It's not going to be 2019, 2020, but I don't think that he's just going to all of a sudden be bad. Like he's still on pace for 40 touchdowns this year. Um, and that's like with all of the red zone turnovers. So I don't think that the Packers defense is that good with Jair Alexander off the table and some other guys banged up as well. So We'll see. I'm not expecting crazy numbers, but I think that they'll take care of business here. I will go through that personnel discussion just a little bit. You've heard us talk about the usage show and the instant reaction show, but a lot of times across the league right now, offenses are dictating defensive coverages based on multiple backs or multiple tight ends. And so the Chiefs have been trying to do this and even made a move for Dan Brown at the trade deadline to get another tight end on the field to, you know, if you go 13 personnel, three tight ends out there, then that kind of forces a defense to go single high as Ted Nguyen, who does a great job covering the Raiders and other people for the athletic points out, like you said, Hayden, they're treating Travis Kelsey as a wide receiver, even if he's in a three point stance. And so they're just staying in two high sets and just daring the chiefs to run the thing with the chiefs and running though. Like there are some stretches where it looks good. Like it looked pretty good with CEH early on at times this season, not in terms of his and and of an individual talent, but like creating yards for him. And then Derek Gore for like his series where that looked like a thing, but then they just like, I'm not saying they become impatient and I'm with you. 17 game season. Do I think the chiefs are going to figure it out? Yes, but not to the levels they have in the past. But if we just focus on the game that's directly in front of us, I will have to see them figure it out before I actually believe it. And I think that's a fair statement too. I think we're just going to disagree on this one. I think that'll happen quicker than most people think. Okay. Uh, Another fun game. Let's go to the seven and one Arizona Cardinals. One half point favorites here against the San Francisco 49ers. We know that they are three and four, I believe, but also coming off of a win. A lot of injury stuff to talk about here, Hayden, because On the Cardinals end, A.J. Green, COVID list. DeAndre Hopkins dealing with the injury that popped up last Thursday. And this is all the way back in something that you mentioned with Jake Glazer, who immediately said because of that ankle injury that Kyler Murray suffered, it was going to be like a one to three week timetable. But it certainly sounds like Cliff and company are hopeful that extra rest throughout practice. He's not going to play at all until potentially they suit up in the four o'clock window here 
on Sunday. This line is tough to find in a lot of places because of the quarterback play up in the air. But let's assume Kyler is going to play. How are you going to view this offense against San Francisco's defense? I think that if Kyler Murray's active, he's not going to be the same quarterback as he is. And we got to also note that it's not just the ankle. He's been banged up with a bunch of different injuries the last couple of weeks, you know, and his production has kind of fallen off a little bit. So right now I would, I kind of feel like he's not going to play, hmm. but um, there's still plenty of time. And I think that he's at the point where he doesn't have to practice to play, but I do think that this injury is somewhat significant for a quarterback that needs to be able to move around a little bit. And I also think that DeAndre Hopkins hasn't practiced on Wednesday and Thursday either. And if he plays, we can't bank on him being a wide receiver one either because he, he he can be playing through an injury and be really banged up like we saw last week too. So um, there's a reason why Pinnacle and other books do not have this game listed on Thursday. I think that this could be a situation where it's backup quarterback, no DeAndre Hopkins. They're seven and one. And they just like kind of take their medicine, get back ready to go a week from now. So um, I'm more curious. Let's let's play the game. If DeAndre Hopkins is out, what or is this AJ wide... Green? Yeah, and AJ Green's out. What what happens to the wide receivers? Like, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Is, is Christian Kirk gonna, like I kind of theorize? Is Christian Kirk going to be put to the outside so they can get Rondell Moore as a full time player? Otherwise, like if they just kept this, they would keep Rondell Moore on the bench to freaking throw out Andy Isabella. At outside receiver, like, come on, like they can't be doing that. So I think that they would just like kind of rotate everybody. But I think that Rondell Moore is going to play more snaps regardless. Yeah. If I'm seeing the roster correctly, they only have six wide receivers on the team. And obviously the two on the outside all season long have been DeAndre Hopkins on the left side, AJ Green on the right side. Their listed backups are Andy Isabella, who I thought certainly was going to get cut this season after being a second round pick and Antoine Wesley as the other outside receiver. So I'm just assuming because people love to talk about four wide receiver sets for the Cardinals. It's such a small number. Like I'll, I'll bring up. That's not happening this week. Correct. And I mean, they've, they've been in at 25% of the time this year, but that's only 130 snaps. You know, they've been in 11 personnel, 44% of the time. And so let's say one of those names are out. I would assume. And wouldn't you that Christian Kirk then flips to the outside spot and Rondell Moore just plays full time. In yeah. the slot, which we have not seen yet before, but that would make so much more sense, even though Christian Kirk has been balling in the slot. And if they want to keep Rondale in this gadget manufactured touch, when he's on the field, we're going to get him the ball type role. I would just assume, though, again, if, if AJ Green, and I don't even know his COVID situation, or if DeAndre Hopkins plays or doesn't play, then we would get a full time Rondale more. We've been kind of anti Rondell Moore, not like not as a player. Like we realize he's good, but we've been like realizing all at the same time that the snaps just aren't there. Unpredictable. I think that this is going to be a Rondell Moore week eventually. So it, even if it's a backup quarterback, if AJ Green and DeAndre Hopkins are out, Rondell Moore. Here's here's how you do it as a backup quarterback: throw it to the freaking guy that is making everybody miss two yards downfield. Like that would like be that. my game plan too. So uh, this could be a Rondell Moore week. Come back to the Sunday show. We'll have it. All, we'll have it all sorted out. And it, it's also frustrating, too, because if there's a weakness on the 49ers defense, and there is one, it's, it's you know, their corners trying to lock up people down the field. Uh, yeah. They're getting outrun in a lot of those situations. Okay, so you mentioned it before we hit live here that this is the only game that these two teams have played each other earlier this season. It's week nine. Typically, that's not the case. But this is a very different matchup than the first one was. Aiden, that was the Trey Lance game. Uh, San Francisco lost 17 to 10. And a lot of it, it was a much closer game than people remember. I mean, again, the Cardinals were 
were undefeated at the time. They failed on four or five fourth down attempts. We know how much they were running the football. San Francisco was at the time. Cleve TA points out the Niners reached the Arizona side of the 50 on eight of their nine drives. Kyle Shanahan, the last time we saw him out in the field against Chicago, Jimmy had all the time in the world to throw. The offense looked absolutely beautiful. Again, this number was at plus one and a half for San Francisco earlier in the week before all this Kyler Murray stuff really got wary. I really, really want San Francisco as an underdog this week if when the lines pop back up, that's the case. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good call. But even if Kyler and DeAndre are out there, I think that they're going to be banged up. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of with you. The other notes for for the 49ers that are good news is Brandon Ayuk. They seem like they're trusting him more. 29 of 30 routes last week, and George Kittle's practicing. And Eli Mitchell, he's been on the injury report as well. But it seems like he's going to be out there too. So in theory, they're going to have fully healthy Jimmy G, not like on a bad ankle Jimmy G. They're going to have George Kittle. They'll have this new version of Debo Samuel. And hopefully they can get Brandon Ayuk. Like this is like going to be like one of the first times in a long time that everyone's out there except for uh, um, Raheem Mostert. But I, I think that Eli Mitchell is running the ball better. They're getting good production out of it. And I think that's good news for the 49ers. I have seen Eli Mitchell ranked as like running back 21 in some places, running back 17. So just like you correlated Nick Chubb with the Cleveland Browns, I am correlating a Benji for Eli Mitchell with the San Francisco 49ers this week. It makes so much sense to me, Hayden. And when you look at it, the Cardinals defense has actually given up the highest percentage of 10 plus yard runs in the NFL this season. Eli Mitchell is number one in explosive run rate among all running backs in the league. And it's not just, you know, straight line speed. Elijah Mitchell has been doing a great job following his blocks, making cuts, getting into the open field and boom. He's away. And I understand, and Zayvon Collins is, is questionable for this game, and he's been really, really good for the short amount of snaps that he's played, but he's not a full-time player as a first-round pick right now. Jordan Hicks, Isaiah Simmons. Look, I know Isaiah Simmons has taken a step in year two, but if you don't think that Kyle Shannon's going to put the magnifying glass on that guy, goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, so I, I really expect, I, again, I know running back salaries on a lot of these sites are are – wonky. I, I I know that it can be tough even to get this point to trust a guy who's not getting all the passing down work because J. Michael Hayes is getting it, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if we see a really, really big week in a W for Eli, Eli Mitchell this weekend. When I kind of called Debo Samuel a sell high last week, I asked you who would you rather have like AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, Debo Samuel rest of the year. Do you have any sturdier thoughts on that? I, I think I'm still with, with George Kittle out uh, I think he's a reasonable sell high only if you're getting an absolute stud coming back though. Hayden, he's the cover man on today's video. I'm not going to do that to Debo right now. I can't Fair do enough. that. I actually think San Francisco as their, have you looked at the rest of the season schedule? Soft. Soft. Yeah. Soft. Yeah. <laughs> That's one I want to go after. Um, quickly, Rodney Hudson has a shot to return for the Cardinals. That'd be a really big deal, but obviously it, it only really, really matters if Kyler Murray is playing in that game. Okay. One more game in the four o'clock window. That is the LA Chargers against the Philadelphia Eagles. Total of 50 here. Chargers are one and a half point favorites coming off a really bad loss to the New England Patriots. Uh, all I have written down, if I can just read it, Hayden, what the fuck is going on with Mike Williams? For a guy that was so important in our world 
during the first five weeks of the season. We got a banged-up Mike Williams pre-buy against Baltimore for five targets, two receptions, 25 yards, and then a bye week. Immediately after, he got shut down by the New England Patriots, five targets, two receptions, 19 yards. What we get in this week against a Jonathan Gannon-led Philadelphia Eagles secondary? My note says, removed week six and seven, got Belichick in week eight, bye. That's my notes. Uh, sweet, this sweet. is, I think this is the perfect bounce-back spot for the Chargers. You just talked about Debo Samuel being your thumbnail. Justin Herbert was my cover boy on Underblog uh, because the Eagles' defense is the exact opposite of what both the Patriots last year, what the Patriots this year, and what the Ravens this year have done to Justin Herbert, probably his three worst games of his career. They play uh, a lot of man defense. They rotate post-snap. They yeah. get really weird at the line of scrimmage. There was one play last week where Belichick, uh, the Chargers went to empty, and then and Belichick still had six players right at the line of scrimmage so that like Justin Herbert was going to be hot on one of them. Then they bailed. Justin Herbert was hot on the wrong guy, threw it to him. Like It was just chaos. The Eagles... The exact opposite. We even had players on the Eagles defense saying how Fletcher Cox. Yes, just saying that this defense is whatever. And I looked at the the stats on Sports Info Solutions. They're second in uh, middle field open coverages. That's too high. And they're third in zone coverage. They just sit there, ball snap, too high zone. Guess what? Justin Herbert is smart enough to figure that one out. I think that you can just completely forget about the two games because of the exact opposite blueprint. Mike Williams is healthy. If you can buy low on Mike Williams, please do. Same thing with Herbert. I I think that the only issue I possibly can have after watching last week's game, that right guard, right tackle spot is just yeah. so It's a bad. huge drop off from where they started at the beginning of the season, where it was so like bad. perfectly along those front five. And that's where they've invested so much. And it was allowing, you know, Joe Lombardi and Justin Herbert to attack short a lot and then attack vertically. And then, I'm with you. Storm Norton, I think, is still playing that right tackle spot, and it's it's been really bad. And when you combine him with the right guard too, it's 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 a pretty bad combo. And if you know the Eagles are at their best anywhere, it's along their defensive line and Josh Sweat and Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave, so on and so forth. So that might be their their avenue to victory. But I'm I'm with you. Like again, while we all fell in love with Mike Williams and his usage, and I thought he'd be among you know the top 10 players and first place teams. Let's not forget about that feeling that we had just in this three week span with a buy sandwiched in between, you know, because yeah. it, that there absolutely are going to be matchups where that hits moving forward. Even if that felt like a different kind of Mike Williams yeah. um, than we've seen in the past, even with like the two down weeks, there's no, there's no getting around it. Those were bad football games from everybody, yeah. the coaching staff and Justin Herbert. They're still second in neutral pace seventh in neutral pass rate. And when you have Justin Herbert's arm, like the upside is still there. There's nothing, nothing's changed from Mike Williams, uh, like projection. He's just healthier now, you know? Yeah. And Jonathan Gannon, who worked with him at the Eagles, uh, excuse me, with the Rams when he was a, uh, either blessed or a national scout, whichever one that they used, uh, that defense, he obviously worked with Matt Eberflus and, 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 you it's so vanilla. It's so yeah. vanilla. It really and is. so Justin should be able to, to do really well. At least I got one. I got. Go ahead. I got one more note. Belichick was bracketing Mike Williams. Like it's on every play. Like you don't see Belichick. Well, Keenan Allen like, had a great day. Yeah, you don't see like Belichick doesn't like double team somebody the entire game. It's only on a couple plays. But you, there was a couple plays where it was very clear Justin Herbert would look to his left, and that's where Mike Williams was, and they had safety right underneath them. They were like, 
play outside leverage where Mike Williams was cutting underneath and sitting right there was a safety. It's like they were making, they were erasing Mike Williams for a couple of those plays. And I don't think you're going to get that anymore. Like those two weeks, like throw them out the window. This is a completely different type of defense they're facing. Yeah. And we know equals linebackers absolutely suck. So hopefully some Austin Eckler receiving game stuff. And you talk about erasing a player. I think Jared Cook erased himself last week too. So that, that certainly didn't yeah. help that offense. That second interception was brutal. <laughs> He, he has a couple of those weird-ass plays all the time. So <laughs> so weird, right? Uh, we need to talk about Philly's offense. You posted a really fun play that I'll bring up here with uh, with Jalen Hurts that even, and I keep bringing this up, even in the game where the Eagles absolutely look good on offense and score 44 points on both sides of the ball, he has by far his worst fantasy output of the day. All I can say is, Hayden, the Chargers have been one of the worst teams in the NFL. We talked about on the usage show how Boston Scott is being treated as this team's lead ball carrier to the point that when they were so far up on the scoreboard, 30, 34, nothing, they elected to take him out just with seven minutes left in, in the third quarter. That shows you how much they value him. So this could be a really, really good Boston Scott day. I agree. I went back and watched this game and note number one, even though it was worse, probably his worst fantasy game of the year, I thought it was maybe the best Jalen Hurts game I've seen him play. He was sitting thing, sitting there and reading things out. Now, obviously, the, the Lions defense, I mean, it seemed like they were like playing with like eight defenders out there for most of the game. But he had a very good game overall. Uh, of note, though, the Chargers, just the way that they're structured, it's going to be hard for, for, for Jalen Hurts to do things by himself. Right now, the Chargers second against fantasy quarterbacks, number one against wide receivers. It's basically the same blueprint as Brandon Staley had with the Rams uh, last season. And just the one difference is on um, the, the run defense is just not nearly as good. And I have a play uh, right here where it just kind of shows you just, they're so light in the box and they try to rotate a safety down. But by that point, when they don't have their, their, um, their defensive tackles, like containing blocks, it's just getting smoked. So I think that this is going to be a Boston Scott game in that game last week. He had the first touchdown. Jordan uh, Howard had the second one, then the third touchdown before it got way out of control. Jordan Howard is going down the field. And then once they got into the five yard line, they actually put Boston Scott back in the game. And you would think that'd be kind of the opposite because Jordan Howard's so much bigger, but no, they trust Boston Scott. So I think that Boston Scott's kind of like a frisky flex play this week. And I'm not going to go to the well with anybody else. Uh, I think it's just Boston Scott. Yeah, I'm totally there with you. Totally there with you. Okay, primetime games. Before we get there, ladies and gentlemen, like and subscribe. Still on the chase for 10,000 subs. I mean, the goal is to get there, let's be honest, by the end of the season. But I believe in you, the people that keep us employed, that let us talk about carbs and vegan diets for five of seven days, which I've never heard in my life before. Thank you for liking and subscribing this video. Thank you for being here on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And by the way, if you missed the Best Ball Report Card show that we had with Eric Bynfor and Ryan Hodge, go back and watch that. Uh, we went through the top five teams on pace to win a million dollars on Underdog Fantasy. It was really cool. And guess what? Bill Barnwell is number three right now. That is so freaking cool. Love that. Me. No odd job. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to put that in the podcast feed for all of your podcast listeners as well. That'll be out there on Saturday. And I don't mean to, you know, forget about you podcast listeners. Thank you all for the rankings and reviews. That helps out too. Okay. Two primetime games. Let's start off always with the Peacock. 
Six and two, Tennessee Titans. Seven and one, and potentially the best team in the NFL, the Los Angeles Rams. Seven and a half point favorites. A huge total in this game of 53 and a half. And the Rams might have gotten a little bit better. While the Titans got a little bit worse. Let's talk about that Titans offense first, if you don't mind, Hayden. Adrian Peterson. It's interesting that he is brought in as supposedly, we think, the Derrick Henry replacement, because I don't know if you were alive during this time, but he was basically Derrick Henry before Derrick Henry arrived, someone who was kind of a zero in the passing game, but a true difference maker as a runner, so explosive in creating yards on his own. Again, this is kind of an information gathering phase, Hayden, where we've seen Jerry McNichols have zero touches um, under center, where Derrick Henry thrived. So many of his touches were 12, second and 12, third and 10, third and 16. And then you had Deontay Foreman in there. Does Adrian Peterson fit into that flex category immediately? I would say probably not. Uh, just because they're seven and a half home home dogs or uh, road dogs. And I think it's going to be more of a McNichols game, especially because AP probably doesn't know the entire playbook, probably going to ease him in. Um, I'm sure that he's fully like, prepared like physically he always is but um i, I wouldn't be rushing to have a i think that if you're starting adrian peterson this week your team's probably effed I, i'm going to say that every every single shouting ap's that this this week um your team's probably also effed if it's jeremy mcnichols too i think it's just going to be a pass passing uh game here especially because we'll talk about the rams the rams are going to absolutely go crazy against this titans defense you know so let, let, let's talk about yeah the, the titans offense still really quick because you have it here the Titans are 26th in pass rate. And because of Ryan Tannehill and how good he is, especially off play action, even though it's, you know, not nearly, I think, as much opportunities as they actually put out there on the field, his efficiency is around 11 in the NFL right now. Um, also, we've seen A.J. Brown, as we have talked about, really get back to his true form as an over-the-mill receiver and as an isolated receiver on the outside when they go single high. We also got two days of Julio Jones practice, there's a chance for like, feels like the second time this season, we're going to get Julio Jones and AJ Brown out there on the field at the same time. So with Jalen Ramsey potentially playing in the slot away from this madness, could we see some, like, what do you expect to see a difference? And we talked about this in the YouTube show, but, but now for this show in terms of pass rate, like do you expect them to get to 20th, 15th, how big of a change, how big of a shift for the Titans offense? Like, 15th to 10th. I think it's, I think it's going to be a, a substantial change. Uh, and I think that especially if you like those, those are all neutral game scripts. I think when you talk about when losing game scripts and that's what I'm expecting here, right. I, I think they're going to pass the ball a ton. This is, this is going to be a, a decent game for Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown and hopefully Julio Jones to the Rams defense is good. It's not as lethal as it was last year. Obviously they're going to get Von Miller to help things out, but uh, the secondary just in general isn't as good as it was last year aside from Jalen Ramsey. So I'm, I'm curious to see if they move Ramsey outside a little bit more. It seems like they should do that in this matchup, but they kind of just like his tackling ability, especially because they get light in the box and they choose him as kind of like that seventh guy in the box sometimes too. So um, very interesting game. I think it's going to be a lot of passes, and I think that probably a week or two away from Adrian Peterson being like an RB2. You know me, we've talked about this. I mean, Ryan Tannehill in like four of the six games either has just one passing touchdown or zero passing touchdowns. And in the other couple, he has, you know, three passing scores. I actually think he's been better 
on the field than maybe his numbers suggest. And you see some, it's interesting. I, I think they do a pretty good job of game planning. Okay, we're going to attack the middle of the field off play action in some of these games. And then other ones, as you can see with some of the dots, I know it's kind of zoomed out here. They, he does attack down the numbers. And Ryan Tannehill has been a chunk pass quarterback for for a while now with, with the Titans. Um, it's a lot different when you're throwing to like Anthony Ferkser and some other random wide receivers versus when you have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown out there. So that that's a that's a real difference. Okay, I know we need yeah. to talk about the Rams offense too because uh, Cooper Cup has been like the number one difference maker in fantasy football this season. Just absurd. And I'm not going to predict that's going to slow down. At all. We saw Robert Woods get there with two touchdowns, I believe, last week. One rushing, one receiving. What are you going to say about this Rams offense? I'm assuming they're, what, number two in expected point score this week? This is, this is true. They are second. They're projected for 30 and a half points. They're number one in neutral pass rate, number one in passing EPA. They are number one in adjusted sack rate on offense. They're number one in neutral pace. And the Titans teams against the the Titans are averaging the third highest neutral pass rate. Teams are choosing to pass the ball against the Titans because their corners are very bad. And this is going to be the week where they, I think they get exposed and Stafford should come out here and put up about mm, 4 billion yards in passing. Uh, So this is a week to start Robert Woods. Certainly he's number five among wide receivers in uh, the fantasy usage model. Obviously starting Cooper cup as the number one player in all of fantasy and I think that Tyler Higby or Van Jefferson, one of these guys can pop off for a big game and you're starting Daryl Henderson. This is like start everybody, pick up everybody, trade for everybody. This is the offense for fantasy. Inevitable too that like Tyler Higby gets there at some point. Like 100%. He is, he is the one player that you're going to continue to start and who hasn't smashed yet, but his end zone, his red zone targets are, are absolutely there. Um, I do want to bring this up because, Hayden, there was that weird 24 hours on Twitter this summer where it seems like all the people realized that, oh, yeah, Matthew Stafford plus Sean McVay when, you know, Jared Goff was putting up these fourth in yards and sixth in touchdowns. What is Matthew Stafford going to do? Oh, he's a great MVP vet. And then another side, the other half was like, oh, well, Matthew Stafford's not that great. It's not going to be that big of a difference. We were right to overreact to Matthew Stafford plus Sean McVay because it's it's been incredible. And it's exactly what Jordan Rodrigue, who's – such a tremendous beat writer for the LA Rams said, because it came into fruition. Matthew Stafford is activating every eligible receiver on every single play where you get to like the backside dig on the third progression and he'll drop his arm angle and rifle the ball in there versus a defense that took away that first and second option. And that's just something that was not happening previously. Plus you're getting a, you know, jump an A dot from Cooper Cup of about two and a half yards and one and a half yards from Robert Wood. So it it has packaged what they've done last year and they've added some to it this year. And it's just, it's so beautiful to watch. And again, it's why they're going to be mentioned with one of the top two or three teams in the NFL moving forward. Yeah, it's this is the elite offense, I think. Yeah, and I think you put you you put in a good word, I think, of putting Sony Michelle on your bench if he's out there. Because if Daryl Henderson goes down, Sony Michelle is going to win people leagues for the final six weeks of the season, if it's yes. that time frame. And trust me, we certainly don't want anything to happen to Daryl Henderson. But focus in on these massive offenses that are unstoppable, that have like a clear second option to them. Yep. And that's obviously what Sony Michelle is. He, he like there's there's not that big of a difference between Sony Michelle and Tony Pollard in fantasy. Like 
projecting forward, why would we rank one way higher than the other? You're not starting Tony Pollard. If you are, your team's effed. If you're starting Sonny Michelle, your team's F. But if either of one of those top guys or Dalvin Cook with Alexander Masson, an injury away from getting a top five running back, like as simple as that. They they should be a roster like 80, 90% in like Yahoo. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, let's close out with Monday Night Football. Chicago Bears, three and five, going against the Pittsburgh Steelers, four and three. Steelers, six and a half point favorites, a small total of 40 in this game. I mean, Vegas never thinks the Bears are going to put up any points. And guess what? They're right. Um, I know that you went back and watched the Justin Fields game. So did I like in most games this season, Justin Fields has like two or three awesome plays. I felt like from like series to series, this was the best we had seen Justin Fields in terms of like taking drops from under center, hitting his back foot, throwing the ball in there. And he was able to stretch his legs. He had what? Like 10 carries for a hundred and something yards. And some of them were designed. Many of them were not. Maybe it aligns with Matt Nagy not being a part of that game plan as well. But I want more of that because we need to see that for the rest of the season to know what we truly have with Justin Fields for next year. Because if you're not utilizing that element of specialness, you're handicapping your offense. Totally agree. I thought one of the biggest, the two two biggest differences last week were the number one, he was getting more scrambling done. There's some not calling that many designed runs for him, which is kind of interesting and probably bad, but he was at least scrambling and, and like he, I mean, he outran Nick Bosa to the edge. He was doing spin moves. He was, he had a couple of good plays. It wasn't just the touchdown. There was a bunch of really uh, cool plays from, from Justin Fields. The other thing is it seems like at least setting the protections in, has been somewhat solved. Like we're not seeing him immediately getting smoked on a sack. You know, like that, that was a, that wasn't a legit issue. The first couple of weeks where like there was just somebody coming and it was probably his fault with that. It seems like that stuff's getting better and he can still make all the throws. Like it's still not an issue about him making the throws with all that said, he's playing in Pittsburgh this week. I like, know. like I was trying to start with the positives here. Hayden. I know, but like, yeah, th- that was an interesting conversation, but not for fantasy. I mean, the bears <laughs> are projected for less than 17 points. And if I were going to be betting this, I'd bet the under. Yeah. Uh, a couple things though. We've seen Khalil Herbert again, even in difficult matchups, put up a whole bunch of yards. I again, back to that uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. There's been some interesting developments for David Montgomery in recent days where beat writers are saying the hope is since that he's back from a 21 day window activated from IR, the hope is for David Montgomery to at least get some work on Monday night football and Matt Nagy, our dear friend, Matt Nagy has also popped up in press conferences and saying that as soon as Dave Montgomery comes back, he will still get the bulk of his carries and will not lose opportunity to Khalil Herbert, despite how good Herbert is being. So this goes from a clear backfield we had to start the season with David Montgomery to then it being fairly clear with Khalil Herbert to now it looks like it might be muddied or be led by an injured player. The interesting thing is the Bears have a bye next week. So like I was always under the impression that David Montgomery would just sit this game out. Like I don't like it seems dumb if he's going to be limited like this week. Like he's either healthy enough to carry the ball or he's not. Um, so that, that's really interesting. I I'm with you. I think that that Khalil Herbert had plenty of really good runs last week. Uh, Damian Williams, I do not think practiced today. He left, uh, after just a couple plays of note though, he actually started last week. 
for some reason, which I did not like, and it kind of gave me some concerns over Khalil Herbert. We're going to have to go in to Sunday morning and try to figure this thing out. I don't like how this is on Monday night, though. You know, yep. like this is not a good situation. And um, when I went back and watched the Steelers defense uh, this week, their run defense is so good. They just have so many good big bodies up there. Even if you can start Khalil Herbert this week, it's just such a terrible matchup. Like he's at best a flex play and could be even worse that worse than that. If we keep getting reports that Montgomery is going to be up there. Yeah. Kim Hayward is, is such a monster. And if the Steelers are worse this year than they have been in the past, it's giving up big plays down the field. And we haven't seen, you know, the bears really willing to throw the football down the field as much as we wanted to. And if there is going to be a player to do that, I mean, it's pretty clear to see that, you know, this offense passing game, Darnell Mooney has eclipsed Allen Robinson in it. That's, that's for sure to me, but we don't want to play any of those. Okay. Quickly on the, on the Steelers side. Now I hate that we're ending it this way because it's so defined and it's kind of boring to be honest with you. Um, We know that Deontay Johnson is going to get a whole bunch of volume. We know that primary read Chase Claypool is going to get some contested targets. It also is getting back to like one or two or three manufactured touches for Chase Claypool a week, which is nice. Najee Harris is going to see 20 plus touches. The player who's emerging, who we talked about the usage show, is Pat Fryermuth, too. So those are all some names if you want to talk about any of those, but obviously they're always attached to Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I think it's just. Is Chase Claypool going to break out? You know, that's like my my question. Like we know what Deontay Johnson is. He's a upside wide receiver too. Sometimes even a wide receiver one when he's healthy. Uh, We'll monitor Eric Ebron's usage or practice reports when it comes to Pat Fryermuth. But right now it's just like, I'm sure a lot of people are trying to compare Chase Claypool as their wide receiver three versus somebody else. And I just want to keep going back to the well. There was a couple scheme touches uh, where they're giving uh, Chase Claypool the ball on like h- handoffs and like pitches out on the uh, from like sweeps and that type of stuff, which is a good sign that they're trying to get this guy the ball. And we all know that he can win a, a route downfield and go for 80 yard touchdown. So um, without Juju, uh, I think that this is a week to start Chase Claypool. Khalil Mack has been on the injury report. Akeem Hicks has been on the injury report. Uh, it's basically just Jalen Johnson in the secondary, very well coached, but not that much talent right now yeah. uh, for the Bears. So I think that this isn't the worst spot for Big Ben and Chase Claypool. Yeah, what stood out to me, again, is that the Bears' defensive line, especially that Khalil Mack, could not do anything against Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, there were instances where he sat back there for four, four and a half seconds and had all day. Looked more comfortable than almost we've ever seen Jimmy Garoppolo back there. And yep. I'm not ever going to suggest that Ben Brothersberger is going to be willing to hold the football for four seconds. But if you're looking at it from a pressure standpoint, from a disruption standpoint, he might not face a lot of it in this game. So that that that's something to uh, keep in mind. That would be great for Chase Claypool because, again, he might be the one who wins more on that secondary option or more down the field versus Deontay and Pat Fryermuth and Najee are these layups closer underneath. So, Can I ask you to set my lineup? I'm debating Tyrod Taylor or Big Ben in a bi-week help two-quarterback league. Tyrod or Big Ben? You know me, I'm going Big Ben, but I, I don't like either one. Um, there's no one else. There's no one else you can go with. Like Ryan Sam Darnold. Hill? Sam. Oh, no. Oh, like two God. quarterback league. Two, oh, quarterback two quarterbacks. League. I didn't yeah, hear no, the two no, quarterback no. part. Yeah, no. Two quarterbacks. Yeah, I'd go Ben. Home favorite? I'm going Ben. 
point expected total? We'll go Ben. All right. Ming Han in the chat that was saying Tyrod. So Everyone's saying so, Tyrod. <laughs> I can't do it. You know me in bad teams. You know me. All right. All right. That's going to do it for us. Nicholas, appreciate you. Greg, Ryan, all of you. By the way, to answer your question, should I trade Michael Carter for Amari Cooper? I'd go get Amari Cooper. I we love we love Michael Carter, but go and uh go and get Amari Cooper, guys. By the way, speaking of Michael Carter, if you're watching us live right now or checking us out before Thursday night football, there's some really, really good pick'em lines up on underdog at the moment. Michael Carter 51 and a half rushing yards. Michael Carter, 41 and a half receiving yards. We have all pick them props for the weekend. They'll be added throughout the weekend as well. So go in, deposit anything. It's instantly matched for you on your first deposit. We double it. Use promo code the show. Check out Rivals as well. And as always, we'll be back here on Sunday. Go ahead. I got a I got a Rivals from tonight. I'm not sure if it's still up there. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, like minus. 36 and a half rushing yards versus Michael Carter. Like, give me JT. Come on now. It's plus 38 and a half. I'd probably still scoop that. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Wish it was total yards. I'd definitely be doing that with. uh... Ooh, how about this Jamison Crowder versus Mo Alley Cox? Jamison Crowder is getting 22 and a half, or he's he's giving up 22 and a half receiving yards. What tonight's just going to be, it's going to be cover two zone defense from the Colts, and that invites check down. Then you have our King. The white guy who loves checkdowns more than anybody. It's just going to be like a bunch of Jamison Crowder receptions here. There it is. Go check out Pick'em. Pick it's so much fun, guys. I'm, I'm having an absolute blast with it. Okay. That's going to do it for us. I thought it was going to be our shortest show. Again, we set records. It's our longest show. Ming Han, Stowe, Greg, Nicholas, Macho, Paul, Wick, Matthew, all of you lovely people. Be sure to join us on Thursday. And before you get out of here, like and subscribe the damn video up the villa need a big win dean need a big win dean talk to y'all soon see you sunday bye everyone